Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. This is your host, Alan Reinock, and today we have a very interesting story that implicates the very basic constitutional premise that there is no religious test for public office. Our guest today, Ismail Royer, Program Assistant for the Center for Islam and Religious Freedom. Uh, Ismail, thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Well, thank you for having me. Well, you know, before we get into the story, tell us a little bit about the Center for Islam and Religious Freedom. That's something that some of our listeners may think, uh, you know, they don't really see Islam as having a commitment to religious freedom. So maybe we should start there. Uh, it's a good question, a uh, fair question. Yeah. What we like to say is that essentially Islam has a very strong tradition um, of religious freedom within it, but that's something that has been overlooked in our modern era um, because of the, you know, essentially the, the unfortunate um, decline of Islamic civilization. And as a result of that, we've had, um, you know, we have less um, creativity, less dynamism in the, um, uh, in the Muslim world's um, intellectual discourse. And so with the general unfortunate decline of Islamic civilization, you've had less, um, you know, less uh, internal freedoms to discuss and to, um, you know, to, to have creative thinking. But if you go back and you look in the, in the Islamic history, um, you actually had a, a, an extraordinary amount of um, fermentation of ideas and uh, a lot of room and space to, to discuss and, uh, new things. In fact, many of the uh, greatest Islamic scholars would have been, uh, you know, uh, ostracized and, and persecuted for their beliefs today uh, because the Muslim world has unfortunately become uh, ossified and uh, calcified in its, um, you know, in its, uh, uh, in its, uh, in its intellectual um, discourse. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring back and tap back into that history as well. Um, this has a, a basis in many, many, many verses in Quran and in the Hadith or the sayings of the Prophet. So we believe that the religious freedom is in the true spirit of Islam, and we're trying to revive that. And, and just so we're yeah. clear, you guys are for religious freedom, not just for Muslims, but for everybody, right? Oh, absolutely, because, um, again, if you look over and over and over again at the, the life of the Prophet, um, you know, we have, uh, we have extremists that, that like to um, cherry-pick things out of the life of the Prophet to say that, oh, look, this is, you know, the Prophet didn't tolerate uh, dissent, and he was harsh, and, you know, but actually, in, in, um, you know, in reality, the entire life of the Prophet, uh, he overlooked, um, uh, you know, and tolerated insults to him, uh, abuse that he that he suffered, and in reality, um, when extremists, you know, uh, point to examples where war was waged and the prophet waged war, well, these are these are contexts that are, um, you know, taking this out of context. This is this is the context of war, the context of, um, you know, of, uh, uh, that are different than the civil uh, civil societies that we live in today. So, for example, the Prophet Muhammad uh, was walking by a group of uh, Jewish uh, rabbis in, in the city of Medina, and they 
said to him, death to you, O Muhammad. And he just turned to them and said, well, the same to you. That's all he said, the same to you. And some of his companions said, oh, prophet, shall we kill them? And he said, no, leave them alone. You know, and so there are just countless, literally countless examples of that. And so what the what the extremists like to do is, like I said, they like to um, cherry pick, um, you know, things and say, oh, this is, you know, this is Islamic way to, to do things. But we say no. So, again, that's what we're trying to do is to um, is to recover this uh, tradition of tolerance of different beliefs. And, you know, ultimately, in the end, um, in pluralistic societies, that is, in societies that where we, we live naturally with people of many different beliefs and many different faiths, there's only two ways to handle that. Either we try to, um, you know, force everyone to be the same, or we figure out a way to all live together. You know, and trying to force everyone to be the same, you know, is ultimately, you know, a futile exercise that, you know, results in violence or, or um, at best, mutual hostility. You know, so we have to figure out a way to get along and the only way to do that is to agree to disagree. Well, and I think this tracks with one of the things I've said many times, that too many Americans regard religious freedom as the freedom to believe as I do. Yes, exactly. You know, religious freedom is fine as long as it's my freedom, but not necessarily your freedom. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we recognize that religious freedom isn't freedom unless it's freedom for all of us and freedom to disagree and to differ in our beliefs about God or faith or religion, you know, whether we have them or, uh, you know, even for those who don't believe. Absolutely. I mean, look, wouldn't it be nice if everyone believed exactly as, you know, as we believe, you know? Yeah, but that's not the reality. The reality is, is that, you know, human beings see things differently and they're, you know, exercising their intellect and, and following their heart. They come to different conclusions. So, I mean, it's simply unrealistic to try to homogenize society. So if we can't homogenize uh, society, then we have to figure out a way to get along, um, you know, and that's what we're for. Our message to Muslims and to non-Muslims um, is, to, um, is to don't be hypocritical. You know, don't be hypocritical. You know, if you yourself would like to have the freedom to practice your religion in the way you would like it, then you need to um, permit others to do the same. And that's actually why we wound up supporting, um, uh, we wind up supporting Christians and Jews more often than not against some Muslims, you know, who might take a different position. And I guess we'll get into that here. Well, I suspect that Islam has its own version of the golden rule. Yes. For me, the golden rule is foundational to our uh, Church Day Council, our organizational work for religious freedom, that um, we treat others with kindness and respect, and respect their freedom of belief, just as we uh, would seek the same courtesy for ourselves. Yes, and as a matter of fact, anyone, you know, the Prophet Muhammad said, there shall be no harming, or do not harm others, and do not return harm when others do harm to you. So, that in Arabic, it's, there is no, let there be no harm and no returning of harm. So to the extent that any Muslim advocates or practices anything different than that, then they are not being Islamic. They're not following the religion. So that's not a, you know, that's not a message we're sending to um, non-Muslims. You know, that's a message that we're sending to Muslims, you know.
That's a pretty strong message. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this whole discussion, I think, leads very nicely into the little dust-up between Senator Sanders yeah. and over the confirmation hearings of, of Russell Vogt. So let's go into that um, briefly and, and tell us about what happened there. All right. So um, uh, Russell Vogt is a an academic and a civil servant who the president nominated for a position in the Office of Management and Budget. And this position requires Senate confirmation. So the history here gets a little bit complex, and I, I need your, um, hopefully your, your readers can follow it. Hopefully I can put it simply. But what happened is that Russell Vogt, a couple of years ago, uh, he stood up for his alma mater, which was a Christian college that was, you know. Wheaton College, I believe, right? Yes, Wheaton College that was going through some controversy because they were terminating uh, a professor there who um, uh, who said that she believed that Muslims and Christians worship the same God. Now, I have my own view on that, but regardless, she um, the, the the college um, had you know made their professors sign a statement of faith before they even started working there, and that's their right because it's a private Christian college. So apparently, this statement by the professor uh, goes against. Um, the statement of faith that she signed. And so they instituted um, uh, termination proceedings against her. So, you know, the, the college was came under some pressure for doing that, you know, and um, Russell wrote in support of the college's right to, uh, to hire people who, um, you know, essentially believe what they believe, you know. And so he wrote and said that, in fact, Muslims you know, the reason he even wrote this in the, wrote what I'm about to say in the first place is because the professor was trying to defend her uh, line of reasoning. Her line of reasoning is, well, um, Muslims and Christians do worship the same God. It's just that Muslims are not aware um, of that the nature of God is, um, you know, triune. In other words, they're not aware of the Trinity right. of God's, you know. And so Russell Vogt was kind of defending the, at least his Christian theological view. Right that took issue with what this professor was saying. Right. And then Bernie Sanders uh, started questioning him and grilling him over uh, his religious views, right? Right. And and the thing is that Russell Vogt put it this way. He said, you know, he said Muslims' uh, theology is not simply defective. He said, rather, he said they're actually condemned because um, they do not follow Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus is God. So he used the word Muslims are condemned, okay? And this um, language— That sounds harsh to somebody who doesn't share that belief. Right. It, it sounds harsh, but I think part of the problem here is not understanding what the word condemned means. He wasn't saying that he himself condemns Muslims in this world. He was saying that theologically they are condemned, meaning that in his belief they're going to hell because they don't believe in Jesus as God. In Jesus. Right. Right. So that's— you know, frankly, it's a theological discussion. Yeah, right. You can agree it, with him or disagree with him, and right. obviously you're Muslim, so I I trust that you take <laughs> I, issue with his I theology. Disagree. <laughs> I disagree with him. You know, but of course. You know, but at the same time, um, you know, we have now when he was going up for this uh, Senate confirmation, several Muslim organizations, um, at least two two that I know of, and. Um, organizations of other faiths, like progressive organizations or whatever, wrote to every senator uh, a letter uh, urging the Senate to, um, you know, not to confirm um, Russell vote because they because of his statement that Muslims are condemned. 
And Bernie Sanders took that line um, up in the, um, you know, in the in the confirmation hearing, and really went after Russell Vote and said, "Well, well, what do you mean Muslims are condemned? Are you saying that Jews are condemned too? And are you saying that, you know?" And Russell Vote's uh, defense was, "Well, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm a Christian. That's what I believe." And so what we did was um, at the Center for Islam and Religious Freedom, we um, uh, wrote uh, an op-ed, and I I personally wrote it, but it, you know, it was on behalf of the organization. Um, saying that, um, you know, we supported uh, Russell Vogt's uh, uh, right and the right of any um, believing Christian, and for that matter, the right of any believing Muslim, uh, Jew, Hindu, whatever, to believe that their road to salvation is exclusively the road to salvation, so long as they did not, um, you know, discriminate against um, other people when it came to their uh, performance of the government duties. And our reason for that is twofold. First and foremost, obviously, because it's in the Constitution. The Constitution uh, says that there shall be no religious test uh, for public office. But second of all, we also defended it because that's simply, you know, uh, the only logical and reasonable way for society to be organized, which is let everyone believe what they want to believe you know, and and that's the only way that we're all going to get along with each other. You know, and that's why the founding fathers, um, you know, wrote this into you know Jefferson and Madison. Right. Why they put it in the Constitution in the first place. You know. Ismail, we're out of time. Listeners, you have just heard a Muslim scholar and leader defending a Christian's theological rights, uh, his right to public office, and not to be criticized for his religion. Uh, and you heard it first here on Freedom's <laughs> Ring. <laughs> right. I think right. that this is cool. This is cool. Our guest, Ismail Royer from the Center for Islam and Religious Freedom. A delight to have you on Freedom's Ring today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thanks for the work you guys are doing. Thank you, sir. As we close, remember, folks, at Church State Council, we provide legal services for those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at Church State. Org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.